0: David, if you'd come on forward, I want to introduce our guest preacher today. It's not very often that I get to stay in church and actually hear a sermon preached from this pulpit. I'm honored to have our brother David Linden come. He's a teaching elder, Uh, went through some of the same training I've gone, just a little bit before me, I think. Uh, But he has served in quite a few different places, and uh, you'll see that his uh, fingerprints are a little bit connected to our communion today, too. But you're answering a great question, brother. Bring the word to us. God bless you. Thank you. Beloved uh, congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, our help is in the name of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we pray that your name will be glorified in these minutes now. We pray for a deeper gratitude and appreciation for our Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our Lord was crucified, he did not simply die. we may be stuck with the impression how horrible and cruel and tortuous is uh, his crucifixion. But this is something that God decreed and engineered to suit his purpose. His enemies hated him, wanted him dead, and for certain reasons they wanted him crucified. But there's a a very interesting problem that they have. They said that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy. They said that on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. They also said he was a false teacher the other days of the week. In their minds, he was both a blaspheming person because of what he said about himself a false teacher because they disagreed with his teaching. Now, I would like to read you from Luke chapter 24, what happens with blasphemers. Then the Lord said to Moses, take the blasphemer outside the camp. All those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head and the entire assembly is to stone him. Say to the Israelites, if anyone curses his God, he will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. The entire assembly must stone him, whether alien or native born. When he blasphemes the name, he must be put to death. In John chapter eight, Excuse me, in John chapter 5, those who heard him realized when he said that God is his father, that that really meant he was making himself equal with God, and they decided to kill him. In John chapter 8, he used the divine name. He said, before Abraham was, I am, and they got it. They understood those words, and they picked up stones to stone him. The Lord uh, did not assist them by sticking around because it was the will of God when his hour had finally come that he should die at their hands at Passover time not just any time in John chapter 10 he spoke of himself as uh, the son of God that picked up stones to stone him now when you put those pieces together the law said the blasphemer should be stoned They were thinking in those terms in John 8 and also in John 10. Then pray tell, why didn't they stone him? They stoned Stephen. Why didn't they stone Jesus? They were very meticulous about keeping the law. You see, those guys have picked up stones in the moment. They're being very rash. But when others made a more deliberate decision, they wanted him crucified. I'm going to do my best to say why. Uh, I said I'm going to do my best because there's something else in here you need to be careful about. We can be sure of things as far as the scripture tells us, but sometimes... We're trying to fill in the gaps. And when a preacher does that, you become very careful because he just said something the Bible doesn't say. So you hold that lightly. If the Bible says it, you hold it tightly. You with me? Okay. Now, the Jews were not allowed to execute their criminals. They wanted to have him crucified It would help if I'm on the right page. Someday, when you get old, you'll find your fingers don't work. Now, if they're going to crucify him, or excuse me, if they're gonna stone him, what they do is they mash people till they're beaten to death and they're piled up with rocks. But at first, a person is crucified, he's hanging on a tree And there is a verse that says, I didn't make this up. There is a verse that says this. Anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. And I go, "Uh uh-huh. I think we got it. If he's a blasphemer, he should be stoned. But listen, guys, said the leaders to each other, In the Sanhedrin, this guy's taking people away from us. They're listening to him and not to us. They think he's the Messiah. He thinks he's the Messiah. We know he's not the Messiah. How can we convince the people that they're all wrong about this? And somebody came up with the suggestion. Hey, guys. The Romans are occupying our land and they have a way of killing people and the lights began to go on. Why not have him crucified? Because in Deuteronomy chapter 21 it says, anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. Look what we have. If he's up there hanging on a cross, all we have to do is quote the verse. Anyone who's hanging on a cross is Under God's curse. Now, how are they ever going to say he's the Messiah? Because for sure, God would not have his own Messiah crucified. And somebody said, that's it. Let's get him crucified so we can say, well, he's under the curse of God. He's been a phony and a fake all along and therefore none of you should believe in him. Hmm. If Jesus is cursed by God, he cannot be the Messiah. But they had another problem. Only the Romans could crucify people. In fact, the Jews were not allowed to put anybody to death. They did it now and then, they did it to Stephen but the Roman hand upon them was oppressive. They wanted to be free from it, you can be sure. And, they, yes, the Romans would not allow the Jews to execute anybody, especially if it's going to be a crucifixion. Uh, The Romans had that patented, that is, their way of dealing with criminals. Who do you think you are? If you're gonna, no, 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 no. We're the only ones who crucify people. And so the Jews realized we have to get them to do it. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law, They answered, but we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words of Jesus had spoken Indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. Crucifixion was Roman. Let's get the Romans to do it. So the apostate leadership of Israel realized that that people would think that if uh, Jesus is cursed by God, he can't be. He can't be the Messiah. Now, they didn't know that they were fulfilling scripture. Hear what Isaiah says in chapter 53. Unbelieving Israel said of Christ, we considered him stricken by God. Stricken by God because he's guilty, because he's a blasphemer, because he's a false teacher. This is our official view of Jesus. We consider him stricken by God smitten by him and afflicted. So they pursued their agenda and unwittingly they did not realize that God was pursuing his agenda also. The will of God was that Christ should die for his people. We're taught the doctrine of substitution throughout the Old Testament. But in his death, Jesus would not simply die for people. He would be cursed. And God only curses sin in the sinner. And so somehow, in the marvelous will of God, the Holy One who never committed any sin would be accused of sin, and therefore he would merit If that is all true, uh, the curse of God, even though he didn't commit those sins. This is what it means that Jesus took our place. But when he took our place, he also took our curse. And if he's cursed for us, the opposite of curse is. I was a school teacher for a few years, and so I like to make my students guess If for a minute you could be my students, if you don't answer out loud, you'll have to stay after school and write it on the board. But the opposite of being cursed is being, give me a word that starts with B. Good, you don't need me to teach you. We got it. The opposite of being cursed is to be blessed. And Jesus was cursed so that the blessing he deserved should come upon us. This is what he did. Now, there is one kind of death that is superior to all of the others if the purpose is to show the curse, and that is, I'm in the United States so I can use this language. You don't read it in the Bible this way, but we're speaking English here. The idea was that he would be strung up on that cross, hanging there, that people can gawk at him. And under the curse of God, and there the gospel is in the actions of those who hated Christ. Did you hear me? They're doing something despicable. They're crucifying the author of life. They're crucifying their own Lord. And in doing so, they're enhancing the gospel message by which we are saved. If there's any kind of death that shows the curse of God more than another, then that would be the one that is most fitting. And you will remember, please, because I hope you're reading your Bibles, that in advance Jesus said we're going up to Jerusalem and there he will be betrayed into the hands of men and the chief priests and the scribes etc will deliver him over to the Romans and they will crucify him and the third day he will rise again he said that at least 3 times before they got to Jerusalem now there's something else in the old testament ritual Sorry you have to see this, but you're supposed to use your minds and your imagination. Because Jesus died in a certain way is illustrated in millions of offerings. You can imagine an animal being taken to the tabernacle or the temple, and a man would confess his sins over the animal by putting his hands on his head and it doesn't always say who uses the knife, the man or the priest, but if they just kind of pick up the chin of the sheep and stand in a certain direction, and the knife is here and bring it across, then you're gonna get one bloody mess. That blood is captured, it is carried over, and it's poured at the base of the altar. This, friends, is called bloodshed. Now, had Jesus been stoned, there would be, there would be blood, of course, but there wouldn't be the kind of bloodshed that crucifixion is. In stoning, one might bleed, but death from the blunt blows of stones does not fit the bloodshed of centuries of Jewish ritual. The Jews, the priests, did not beat their animals to death. They bled them to death. And so the crucifixion of our Lord fits the significance of bloodshed. We're getting a number of aspects here. And there's another one. It's the factor of Jesus humiliation. If there's anything that's the hardest for me to understand, well, it's it's utterly marvelous that the Holy One who committed no sin would be accused of sins he never committed and be executed. But why couldn't he just die a more humane death? The United States Constitution says that we are not to have cruel and unusual punishments. Is that right? It's in the Constitution. The Lord Jesus did not die in a constitutional way. There. This is cruelty. This is despicable. I'm sorry. I'm I'm glad most of you here are adults because... I'm burdened to tell you this. You're going to get an article that's out for the church if you want to take it home with you. One I wrote years ago. It was published in a British magazine, evangelical magazine, but they wanted a certain part not in. And so we took it out for that article, but in this sermon, I feel obliged to put it in. You see, sin brings humiliation. If Adam had obeyed God, the human race would have had glory and honor. But what we lost through sin is glory and honor. So when Jesus is stepping into the sinner's place, he takes our humiliation, and he has the indignity of the crucifixion, because his death is also a shameful death, and he was naked because they cast lots for his clothes and took them off. If we had had the high privilege of getting our hands on Adolf Hitler alive, we would have hanged him. Aren't you glad? You believe in justice? what a wonderful thing it would be to hang Adolf Hitler, that cruel man who deserved every bit of, God. we wouldn't have done this. We would not have strung him up without his clothes on. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died in a way that we would not have executed Adolf Hitler. So you're supposed to, in your meditation, and in your reflection, and in your prayers, you realize, Look what he went through. His death was not one of half measures. When they crucified him, the the attitude is not, oh, okay, come on, guys, that's enough. We don't have to keep this going. Just, just, Just let him die. No, Jesus drank the full cup of the wrath of God including all the humiliation and indignity that went with it. Jesus knew the shame in advance. It didn't stop him from going to the cross. He didn't die in bed with the family gathered around, singing psalms and praying for him and holding his hand as he passed from this life. Oh, no. It was not a loving and considerate handling of the Savior. Now, the scripture tells us this. We should should believe what it says in advance. In Isaiah 52, there are three verses. I want to read all three of these verses. Number one, God the Father speaking Behold, my son shall act wisely, he shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. This is Isaiah, the very same language you get in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. Chapter 52, my servant shall act wisely, he shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Oh, Good, that's the majestic view of the servant of the Lord. You're supposed to read the next verse. As many as were astonished at you, astonished for what reason? His appearance to human eyes was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. When you saw what was there hanging on the cross, you might say, is it even human? That was the horror of the crucifixion. Now, uh, the previous verse said, my servant shall act wisely, which means knows, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to save us. He knew to took the full measure of the wrath of God, including his humiliation and its indignity, and what is the accomplishment of the Son of God because of this death, it says, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths. if Jesus is speaking out of respect they, and listen because of who He is. He's, he's the high and exalted one. And so kings shall shut their mouths because of him for that which has not been told them, they see. praise the Lord. there' are finding out who he is, and that which they have not understood, excuse me, and that which they have not heard, they understand. So the humiliation was in the will of God to clarify his sacrifice and what our salvation really is. When God saves you, he restores to you honor and dignity. He hasn't finished with that because when Jesus comes, he's gonna heal us of every infirmity. We We shall have no sin in us and no sin around us. And the honor and dignity that was lost in the Garden of Eden is being won back for us by the one who endured this humiliation so that we human beings in Christ might have honor and glory again. Now we mentioned earlier that this was a Roman death for criminals and so it's important to see what God accomplishes in this. The death of Christ was not entirely a Jewish event. Crucifixion was a Roman message on a Roman letterhead. Jesus was tried in a Roman court and crucified by Roman soldiers. We read in Acts 4, indeed Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. You got the combination? The Gentile rulers, and the people of Israel and of all things. They never agreed with anybody on anything except this. They agreed. The Jews wanted him put to death and the Romans became willing to do it. The Jews wanted him put to death in a Roman way and the Romans caved and did it. And so this adds up to a mutual decision. Now who's the world composed of? Somebody might say off-handedly. Well, it's composed of Jews and Gentiles. Gotcha. Now put the two together, what do they agree on? On this occasion they agreed to wipe out the Lord Jesus in a Roman way. Had Jesus died in a Jewish way, and here's a pile of stones, and he's in there somewhere dead, people would look and say, well, Yeah, that was a Jewish execution. But what really happened is something by Jewish instigation done in a Roman way. This shows us, brace yourself. There's something we may not realize. I'm asking you to listen carefully to this to show a world against God, the Roman hand was needed in his death. What is the world? This is my definition. The world is that association of the sons of Adam who are disunited with each other, but united against God. Shall I read it again? The world is that association of the sons and daughters of Adam who were disunited with each other but united against God. And that's what you have at the cross of Christ. But things are not going well for those who hate Christ. You know why? For God so loved the World that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You know how the world will be saved? By God using the act that the world committed to turn it into the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so the world will be saved when brought to know the Lord and believe in him. So they've enhanced the gospel. We've included bloodshed. We see the crucifixion is the divine curse. They had the motive of uh, trying to Paint Jesus as a blasphemer worthy of Jesus' death. And uh, they accomplished that. Uh, things seemed to be going their way. There he is, hanging on a cross. Thank you, God, for really helping us. Then they took another step. They realized uh, that Jesus said his disciples forgot it, but his enemies remembered that on the third day he would rise again. So he said, oh brother, you know buddies, what we need is we need to be able to pull out that body on day four and say to everybody, this is the man who said he would rise on the third day. Now are you convinced he's a phony? And so Pilate caved again I wish you guys would leave me alone. Yeah, okay, okay, go, you got your guard. And what the Jews accomplished through that was they had an act that destroyed all credibility that the disciples had come and stolen Jesus' body. So when the tomb was empty, uh, the council was to the soldiers, look, Here's what you do, guys. You say that while we were sleeping, Roman guards never slept when they were on duty. Uh, We fell asleep and while we were sleeping, his disciples came and stole his body. Boy, wouldn't I have fun with that in court because I'd have a few questions. Uh, You say that uh, the disciples uh, came and they were the ones who stole his body. Is that correct? I say yes. I said, you were sleeping, weren't you? And they will say yes. And I would ask them, do you sleep with your eyes open so that you uh, realize what's going on? You see what happens? The whole thing is broken down. The crucifixion of Christ is according to the will and the gospel of God. And the resurrection can't be denied by those who hated him because they did things to make the resurrection even more clear. Now, what's cursing? Cursing is done with our mouth. People say, oh, quit cursing. Cursing is done with the mouth. When God curses and when God blesses, he does it with his mouth. But when God does something with his mouth, it happens. If I were to say on some dark night, Let there be light, there would be none. But one day God said, Let there be light, and there was light. The word of God produces the thing that God speaks. And so when God curses, it happened. And when God blesses, hear me, my fellow Christians, when God blesses and he has blessed you, it happens. His blessing hasn't finished. In condemnation, you have God's legal decision, and the curse is the execution of that sentence. And the curse for us has fallen on Christ. May God be thanked. So that the blessing can fall on you. Thank God for this gospel. And so God can say to you, your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. What happened after the resurrection? Well, the apostles were out preaching the gospel, and they proclaimed Jesus' death and resurrection. But they never avoided using the word crucifixion, because they weren't ashamed of it. In fact, we're proud of it, aren't we? it is to us a wonderful thing that our lord was crucified and so paul would say you know what's with you paul what do you proclaim what do you boast about he would answer jesus christ and him crucified when peter wanted to give the gospel he would refer to a tree first peter chapter 2 who his own self bore our sins in his body on the tree. My godly grandfather died in 1954, and there's this big tombstone made of Swedish granite, and across the bottom, it's chiseled in, who his own self bore our sins in his body on the tree, First Peter 220. What a heritage uh, has come to me. So we're proud of all that God accomplished through the hands of wicked people. I, did you get that? Isn't the sovereignty of God wonderful that he takes the actions, the motives, all the sin, of those who hate him and he turns it around to accomplish his own glory. I had 12 pages up here and I'm on number 12. So the end is in sight. But this is the hardest page to follow and I'll tell you why. When you follow stories that you can imagine in your mind, you can see the action, etc. that's easy. But when you're, When you're moved into the territory of why something happened, the meaning for something happened, that's hard. I'll give you an example. Five words. Christ died for our sin. Is that a statement of history? Christ died for our sin. Yes, Christ died, that's history. Christ died for our sin, is that theology? Yes. For our sin. So, for your edification and for your blessing, I'm going to read what the death of Christ means. The death of Christ was a unique sacrifice which cannot be repeated. And I hope you go, yes, that's right. It was effective to accomplish all that God intended, And, if this sermon is true, it happened in detail in the way that God had decided a death by crucifixion. By his sacrifice, Jesus satisfied God, absorbing his wrath against us for our sin. I wish everybody understood that sentence thoroughly. He He satisfied God. He absorbed the wrath of God. He took the curse from us and replaced it with blessing. He defeated the power of the devil. You're not the devils anymore, and you do not live in his grip if you belong to Christ. Nobody can deliver you out of the hand of the good shepherd. You used to be in a different hand. The Lord, out of there and over here. And he did it by the cross. He removed the guilt of our sin from our record. In the judgment day, your name comes up. He can open the books. And look, and he says, there's nothing here against you. Where did all my sin go? Well, we took all those pages and we nailed it to a cross. It's held against you no more. Praise the Lord. Your guilt is gone. You've been given forgiveness. Jesus, by his death, reconciled God to us so that in repentance and faith, we could be reconciled to God with our enmity removed. I used to work much with Chinese students from Singapore and Malaysia And it's the interesting thing about this group of young people, uh, in Singapore if you're Chinese and if you're college age, almost 50% of those young people in a short amount of time have become Christians. The children were becoming Christians before their parents became Christians. And some of them were saved at the university I worked in. And one time, I had a bunch of them together in my van on a trip, and we're talking about uh, what, what did you feel when you first accepted Christ? Is it, aha, uh-huh, my faith is true? No. Is it uh, somehow your, just your personal joy? And you know what the students told me? And all of them agreed. We had a great sense of peace. The war is over with God. Jesus has satisfied God, and we have bowed our knee, and we have accepted, and we have been reconciled to the Lord. Uh, Further benefits are that he gave new life because we've been born from above, and he took us in as our children. If the governor of Delaware I don't know how big a mansion he lives in or how many children he has, if any. But if the governor of Delaware pardons some criminal and the man is released, the criminal does not go over to the governor's mansion and say, I'm here, and come in and sit at the governor's table and eat with him and claim a bedroom upstairs. He doesn't become part of the governor's family. But when you believed in Jesus Christ, you were not only forgiven. You were included as one of his sons or daughters. You're in the family of God. How does God, as a good father, treat his children? He gives to them good gifts. He gives to us his holy word and his holy spirit to live within us to enable us to live for him. He has given the gift of his spirit, so we have started to live. <clears throat> I have a request for you. I call for gratitude in your prayers when you say that the Lord has blessed us, it is because the curse In Jesus' crucifixion has been removed from you. Someone had to take it, he did, and you give him thanks. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) But I I do repeat, may the effect of this sermon upon you be the multiplication of gratitude in you and in your prayers. Let us pray we thank you father that you did not withhold your son but delivered him up for us all that along with him we might enjoy all of your blessings thank you lord in jesus name